and welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this Monday afternoon? Doing fantastic. Great game last night, and uh, we'll never drop out of a stream yard again. Got some fresh hardware, so looking forward to uh, you know making it through a full half hour with you. Yeah, we're looking a little bit crisper this time as well, hopefully sounding a little bit better too. But uh, biggest news of the day, Matt Rule fired by the Carolina Panthers. I don't think this came as a massive surprise to either one of us. I actually even kind of hinted that this was going to be a possibility in this week's rumor roundup. So make sure to keep it on PFF.com for all of your news and analysis, as always. Uh, and we even talked about this a little bit last week, that there was a potential that Matt Rule could get fired. I'm not sure if we knew that it was going to be happening this early, but after another kind of no-show against the San Francisco 49ers, this just felt inevitable that it was going to be coming eventually. So you might as well just fire him now, uh, promote Steve Wilkes to interim head coach. They also fired their uh, defensive coordinator, Phil Snow. They also cover, uh, fired a assistant special teams coordinator. Uh, so kind of uh, a lot moving on there in Carolina. Curious to see how the team responds to it, but I, I can't imagine there being, I don't know, that like a huge turnaround for Carolina or anything at this point. No, certainly not. Yeah, so there's so many different angles here that I think we should dive into. But first and foremost, getting the San Francisco 49ers defense of all teams when you're trying to, you know, kind of coach and save your job and score yeah. points on an offense that simply cannot score score points and never really did during the Matt Rule era. That was about as bad of a matchup as you could draw. Um, yeah, yeah, you mentioned Steve Wilkes. You also have Ben McAdoo as offensive coordinator. So you do have two coaches that have head coaching experience. Um, I think maybe, you know, setting that framework up going into the season provided a bit of a foundation to where look I hate the term lame duck whatever but the odds he stayed even if they did somehow go you know near 500 with you know Baker Mayfield were pretty low um you know he gets 40 million dollars to, to leave the door though so that, that's always nice yeah not a bad deal and I mean this was inevitable for a number of different reasons uh he did not have a lot of success whatsoever as the head coach there but also there just was no offensive improvement whatsoever no matter who was at quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. And that was really kind of exemplified this year because I think that a lot of people thought that the Panthers could be kind of a, a dark horse playoff candidate with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. He had had success early in his career with the Cleveland Browns. They'd made the playoffs with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. And Mayfield has been pretty terrible so far this season, uh, for lack of a better term. And if you look at the Panthers, you know, overall quarterback PFF grade since Matt Rule came in as head coach. They are dead last in the NFL, whether it's Sam Darnold, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, whether it's Cam Newton, whether it's Baker Mayfield. So I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why they had to make this move. And I think it probably would have helped a little bit if they had gotten a, a young, you know, hot shot offensive coordinator. But I think that a lot of people around the NFL knew that this was going to be a possibility early in the season that Matt Rule could get fired. So there's no reason for a young offensive coordinator, a young quarterback coach, or whoever it would be to, you know, agree to join the Panthers as an offensive coordinator to help turn this team around. And that's how they kind of wind up with Ben McAdoo. And I think that was the first tell of the offseason. I mean, I think Pep Hamilton in, in Houston turned down an interview. Jay Gruden, the former head coach and former offensive coordinator, turned down an interview. I think there were other coaches that just declined to even take an interview, much less take the job. And I think that probably tells you a lot right there. At the same time, you know, you could probably argue, yes, the Baker Mayfield move probably was, was made with a, hey, look, we're giving you another guy, another opportunity. 
maybe make it earlier in the offseason. I don't care who you bring in. Right. I mean, Russell Wilson had a full offseason. He still can't do anything on offense. Bring in Baker Mayfield to learn his eighth NFL playbook with, what, three and a half weeks before week one kickoff. You know, it kind of still didn't really help the situation. Um, I think so. Just some of the other takeaways I want to I want to go with here. Yeah. I think there's a lot of kind of fallout from this. And first and foremost, may be that if folks don't recall, this is a six-year, I want to say, seventy million dollar deal when it was signed. And owners around the NFL, kind of similar to you know the Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed deal, were not happy with a first-time NFL head coach getting a you know what is perceived to be the value of a veteran head coach. Um, and a long, long term on six years, that may not happen again in the near future. Yeah, I also think that teams might be hesitant to hire a head coach from the from the college ranks at this point, too, because of how poorly this went with Matt Rule. And, you know, the Arizona Cardinals have certainly had more success than the Carolina Panthers have. But it's not as if the Cliff Kingsbury experiment has gotten off to a roaring success either. And obviously, that's a much different scenario. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was a head coach in college who got fired, who was going to be an offensive coordinator in college, and then wound up getting the, the offer to become the Arizona Cardinals head coach. So even that is a little bit different than Matt Rule, who had, had a lot of experience building up programs in college, had had success as a head coach, was not anywhere close to getting fired by Baylor at that point. Uh, but I think that that's the next step now for Matt Rule is to go back to college. But he's got $40 million left on that contract. And any deal that he accepts to become a college head coach gets subtracted from that $40 million. So it's going to be curious to see if he actually does wind up taking one of those college jobs right away. Arizona State, pretty attractive right now. Uh, you've got Nebraska that's pretty attractive right now. Who knows what happens with Auburn, some of these other you know teams around the NFL or around the college who think to themselves, hey, if we can get Matt Rule, then maybe we could upgrade it at head coach. But I think that that's probably going to be the next step for Matt Rule. Yeah, you also we didn't even talk about Urban Meyer. Speaking of coaches jumping from the college ranks to the NFL, um, yeah, it's a good point. I actually hadn't dove into it. It's a great note from you right there. I would imagine, or I would have guessed that NFL deals would have worked against it. But if a college job also offsets, look, we've heard from coaches in this current landscape. He now, you know, would you rather make money, sit around, or go call a bunch of eighteen-year-olds and try to recruit them and hammer the transfer portal and work on NIL deals and do all these things, or just sit back and collect your money? Um, last thing. I'll say I'm um, not trying to name drop or, or anything like that, but I did have the, the opportunity to meet Matt rule. I think he makes just so much more sense in college. He gave a keynote address at, a, at an event I was at. I wanted to run through not two, not one, but two brick walls by the time he was done speaking. He is a phenomenally, you know, motivational speaker, all those things. But I think during, you know, that same time, you could kind of tell, like, does this really play in an NFL locker room with a yeah. bunch of fully grown adults and guys that are looking to make money and be successful at the highest level of professionalism? I, I think he could still be a great college coach. I think anyone writing him off as being able to build back a program, even a really good power five program, uh, should be careful with that opinion. I just don't know if the NFL job was maybe his best fit. Yeah, certainly not. Uh, let's talk about some head coaching candidates that could become options for the Carolina Panthers. This is it's very early and we're it's only October 10th. So pretty much anything can happen over the course of the rest of the NFL season. And I would even say that, you know, even as as recently as last week, Ben Johnson, who's the Lions offensive coordinator, he'd been kind of like thrown around to me as a potential head coaching candidate ne next year. And then the Lions get shut out by the New England Patriots 
this week in Foxborough. So probably take his name off of the, the candidate table right there for a second. But D'Amico Ryan's San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator. Uh, he's certainly up there. Jonathan Gannon, Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator, also has been mentioned to me as a potential head coaching candidate. Uh, you could also say uh, Shane Steichen, the Eagles offensive coordinator. I know that a lot of that credit goes to Nick Sirianni, but uh, he's doing a really good job with the Eagles right now. And then Frank Smith, I mentioned on the show before, Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator. Obviously, things didn't go very well for Miami this week against the New York Giants, but they were without their top two quarterbacks. And I have heard Frank Smith has done a good job with Tua Tagovailoa as quarterback with the Dolphins right now working under Mike McDaniel. But any other names that you've kind of heard about or any sexy head coaching potential candidates for the Carolina Panthers months down the road at this point? Yeah, one that I'm keeping an eye on, and I think it I, I had heard a little bit about it, but also I think it just makes a lot of sense and checks a lot of the boxes we're talking about, and that's Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. I mean, the guy that was in the NFC South, so – uh, you know, Dave Tepper has a relationship with him and knows him to a degree, playing against him a couple times a year when he was with Atlanta, but also, again, a experienced NFL head coach. So you're not pulling from the college ranks. You're not pulling some hot 30-year-old offensive coordinator. You're pulling a guy that is one of the most well-liked players or people in the entire NFL from conversations I've had. Good luck finding someone who has a bad thing to say about Dan Quinn. I haven't crossed paths with anyone that has has a thing, you know, anything like that to say about him. But also just a guy that I think, again, Sometimes when teams make these transitions, I think it's like a high floor thing. I think he comes in, he builds a foundation. Frankly, he's like when Ron Rivera went to Carolina back in the day, where, look, maybe you don't think he has the best odds of making a Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl for you, but does he get you into a playoff team? Does he get guys accountable and organized and, and just make things trend in the right direction? Get the building galvanized, not just in football, but in every aspect. I think for that reason, he's kind of a, not a perfect hire, but I think he's a, a name to definitely keep an eye on. Absolutely. And then also, obviously, Sean Payton still out there, but Panthers would have to pay the NFC South tax to acquire Sean Payton from the New Orleans Saints because Payton is still under contract with the Saints, despite the fact that he has retired. So a team would have to give up something to get him back from the Saints. Saints certainly are not just going to let him walk out the door to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, one other note on this that is kind of interesting is that a lot of the names that we're mentioning are defensive coaches. And I think that we're kind of coming back, swinging back the other way, where a lot of the offensive candidates who have come, uh, come up through the ranks over the years already have head coaching jobs. And, you know, even like looking at last year, it was pretty. It was split pretty evenly last year between offensive and defensive defensive coaches who wound up getting hired as head coaches. But if you look down the list, Lovey Smith promoted from within on the defensive side. Uh, you've got Dennis Allen promoted from within on the defensive side. Todd Bowles promoted from within on the defensive side. So. Four of the 10 last year were defensive, but three of them were promoted from within. The Todd Bowles situation was obviously extremely strange. Uh, so Matt Eberflus was really the only one who was hired from outside on the defensive side of the ball. And I do think that we flipped that the other way this year, and we probably do see more of those defensive style coaches getting hired as head coaches just because there's a lot of those candidates out there and there's not a lot on the offensive side. Uh, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers some more. Baker Mayfield will be out, seems like, for a few weeks with a high ankle sprain. Uh, another quarterback dealing with a high ankle sprain here. Now you've got PJ Walker likely to fill in unless Sam Darnold can get ready really quickly here. Who's dealing with his own high ankle sprain. Uh, but 
not a great start, I'd say, to the Steve Wilkes era as their interim interim head coach uh, to be putting P.J. Walker out there. But at the same time, I mean, P.J. Walker hasn't been that much worse than guys like Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold over the last few years. That is certainly true. But talk about a guy who's basically just been handed the worst situations in the world in the NFL. I shouldn't even laugh. It's really not fair. It's honestly not that funny. No, it's not. Um, you know, obviously in Arizona, it was a disaster of a roster. He gets a one-year, you know, placeholder year. And then they obviously kind of overhaul the entire thing. The GM who gave him no talent is still there. Just signed a six-year extension. And Wilkes obviously, you know, bouncing around to Mizzou in college, now back in the NFL. So, you know, I think it's cool that he gets an interim gig. Mm -hmm. I doubt he has a great chance of actually earning the job full-time but you know maybe yeah. he does and that's something he could earn the players can maybe you know galvanize around him that type yeah. of thing um but yeah i mean as for the quarterback right it can't get much worse than what it's been so why not take a look at a guy that has played some good you know football in the spring leagues and has looked good at times in the nfl like you said at least on par with the you know the early draft picks that he's going up against um, and maybe the locker room too i would be i would i would imagine they're a little bit motivated a little bit excited um i do think maybe we could talk a little bit about this that roster is probably in teardown mode because they traded yeah. so many draft picks. They traded a second round pick for Sam Darnold, only a fifth for Baker Mayfield. And he's probably not going to earn the condition to make it a fourth now with the injury, but you know, a third round pick for CJ Henderson, a quarterback, cornerback, like all these moves. And then spent a bunch of money, pushed a lot of money into the future. Um, it, it's not an attractive job. I mean, look, there's only 32 of them. Someone will certainly take it. You have a billionaire owner that I think is relatively patient. I think it's got pretty bad, but the roster and the resources are about as bad as it gets. Yeah. I mean, they also traded a third round pick to move up to take Matt Corral last year in last year's draft. So that's another trade that they've made uh, currently on the roster. Yeah. PJ Walker is on their 53 man roster at quarterback. They've also got Jacob Eason um, on their practice squad at quarterback. So he'd probably be the backup this week, but if Baker Mayfield is going to miss a few weeks or if he goes on IR or something like that, they'll probably have to sign another quarterback either to their active roster or to their practice squad. And I mean, there's not a lot of great quarterbacks out there right now. I mean, obviously Cam Newton, probably the best one, but I can't see him having a third go around with the Carolina Panthers. But I mean, this week we saw the New England Patriots sign Garrett Gilbert to be their backup quarterback for Bailey Zappi. I think that, you know, that's the level that we're down to right now. No offense to some of these quarterbacks that are still out there, but it's not like you're going to find your future starter out there. But I mean, this quarterback situation for the Panthers could not have gone worse this uh, this offseason. Uh, as you mentioned, it didn't help that they traded for Baker Mayfield so late, but Mayfield beats out Darnold, but then Darnold gets hurt in the last preseason game or whatever it was. He has to miss a bunch of time. Sam Corral out for the season with a Liz Frank injury. Obviously, at this point, you'd love to see what Matt Corral has as a potential future starting quarterback, but now this year is just completely shot for him. And now they're going to bring in, probably unless it's Steve Wilkes, a new head coach next year who has absolutely no ties to Matt Corral whatsoever. So you feel bad for him as well, missing an entire season, can't show anything in the NFL. Um, and, and yeah, so as far as trade candidates go, like you mentioned, I'd say that, I mean, Brian Burns would probably be the most attractive one uh, for, an, for an opposing team. You, do you think that, you know, there's a possibility that they could get first, second round pick, something like that for Brian Burns? I do. He's an edge defender. He's very good as a pass rusher and you know, has been a 70-plus grader as a pass rusher pretty much every year of his career thus far. Really not a great all-around player, but really that what you care about at edge rusher is getting after the quarterback, and he's certainly good at that. I would be interested in the names that jump out to me. I think Robbie Anderson is a very, very realistic target, even though they have basically zero wide receiver depth. Um, and, and then also, 
you know, another early pick, maybe a Derek Brown. Um, you know, I, I think a little bit less valuable than than a uh, Brian Burns. He actually is having a great year this year. Yes, yeah. um, and is a you know a great nose tackle and a good player. Obviously, you know a top ten pick for them. But you know, if they're sort of think you know think long term, think ahead. Is paying more guys on defense the fastest way back to getting you know a good roster? Or again, the tanking word is always you know a, a taboo. But this team should lo- win as few games as possible and draft Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud in the top five picks of next year's draft. I have frankly not seen a more obvious please tank situation maybe since the Colts you know with with Peyton Manning's neck injury. Yeah, and that's that's a stu- that's a tough thing for Steve Wilkes there as the interim head coach is that he's probably not going to get a fair shake this year. Then who knows if he winds up getting another opportunity down the road. But yeah, I mean they've got a lot of talented players on the defensive side of the ball, and their de- their defense over the last two years has ranked pretty highly as far as EPA per play, everything goes. Um, but if you don't have anything on offense, then I don't think you're going to get very far. One other thing is just that. Do you think, obviously, they wouldn't want to trade Ikemaquanu, who actually just had a, a really great game for them in week five uh, as their first-round pick. But, I mean, teams need offensive linemen so much right now, especially a tackle. Do you think there's anyone else on that roster on the offensive line that they could trade? Uh, just because their offensive line has been such a struggle for so long, I would right. say no, except for there is one answer, actually. They, tr- they signed Bradley Bozeman to a one-year deal this offseason to play center. Yeah. He actually has not played. It's been Pat Elfline, who has kind of uh, you know bounced around the interior. I don't see why you would keep Bozeman, and I'm sure he also would love to go somewhere else where he maybe could play. Think about a Tampa Bay, obviously losing Ryan Jensen. They have some internal candidates, but I think Bozeman would be an upgrade there. I guess that's in the same NFC South division. We have seen some more inter- intra-division yeah. trades recently, but he jumps out to me as another kind of obvious candidate. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that was something that was brought up to me this week is that, you know, like what is up with all of the offensive tackle injuries this season? And, and we just saw Garrett Bowles go down. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal out there. There not a lot of teams have a lot of offensive line help either at starters or as backups. Um, another big piece of news yesterday after a lot of the games wrapped up was that Dion Jones traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the Browns only had to give up a sixth round pick in 2024 and the Falcons got Dion and the I'm, I'm twisting myself around here. So the Browns gave up a sixth-round pick uh, for Deion Jones, and the Falcons got a seventh-round pick in return. <laughs> no, the Falcons gave up a seventh-round pick in return to get rid of him. There we go. That was that was a real struggle. That that was my brain on like not enough sleep after watching football all day yesterday. Um, but I think that I finally got that out right. Yeah, six seventh-round swap for Deion Jones. I was a little bit surprised that uh, the Falcons couldn't wind up getting more for Deion Jones, but he's on injured reserve, struggled mightily last season uh, in his first year with Dean Pease as the defensive coordinator, had a lot more success with Dan Quinn. Does seem like you know, the defense he's moving over to uh, with the Cleveland Browns, with Joe Woods there, a little bit closer to what Dan Quinn uh, was doing with the Falcons. So maybe we get to see kind of a, a redemption there for, for Deion Jones, but clearly uh, wasn't a very attractive option for teams around the NFL, given what the Browns had to give up for him. Yeah, you know, and, and especially they, they restructured his contract for the, I want to say third time, if not at least the second time this offseason. And so Cleveland is inheriting, based on what I broke down, about $1.2 million in total compensation. Part of that being per game roster bonuses, which yep. he obviously won't earn if he's on injured reserve or not playing. 
Um, so yeah, very cheap from a contractual standpoint, but I think it's, again, you go back to maybe a conversation we've had of these, these linebackers, I mean, Jalen Smith and Alec Ogletree and Zach Cunningham, and you pay these players. And by the time they're 28 years old, they are liabilities on defense. Yeah. The one saving grace, I think for Deion Jones, and it certainly did not apply to 2021, but he's one of our highest graded coverage linebackers of, of the decade, um, yeah. you know, before last year. And I think for Cleveland, they were just so bad up the middle. They had to do something, right? They lost Anthony Walker, who was a, I think, top five graded linebacker for us before he went down for the season with an injury. You have Jeremiah Usukoromoa, the sophomore, who's a good player. Um, I still think Cleveland needs to add interior defensive line. You know, I think it's hard for these linebackers to sift through kind of the garbage when they have maybe the worst interior defensive line in the NFL. Uh, at least by our grading, it's the worst by almost 10 full points, um, which is kind of crazy to see for any position group. But, um, you know, but I, I think it's it's also an idea I've come around to for both teams where Atlanta, all of his compensation was guaranteed coming into the season anyway. Me, the, the 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 frugal person in me doesn't like restructuring and pushing cap down the line, but yeah. you're going to pay it anyway. It's right. just a matter of when it hits your cap. And so I think, you know, now I've come around to, yeah, it's only a pick swap. You give up a seventh, you get a sixth, but you're basically buying a draft pick for just when accounting hits your books. Um, I, I think yeah. you might as well do it. And then if you're Cleveland, yeah, why not a pick swap and a million dollars for, for an off-ball linebacker that was great at one time in his career? You know, I think it's a win-win. It's also a situation where, yeah, you have to eat that money down the road. But if you're saving money against the cap this year, then you could carry that money over, right. which helps you in the future as well. Uh, some yeah, deep accounting NFL stuff right there. But uh, sticking with the Browns, Deshaun Watson can now re-enter the Browns facility. This is kind of interesting where usually, you know, a player who's suspended, um, I think in most cases, this isn't the case that he can be back in the facility. I think they have to stay away from the team, but Deshaun Watson now back uh, the Browns cut Josh Rosen. So I thought that was kind of curious that those moves kind of coincided there, but not a lot to take away here, but I will say that, you know, is recently as, as last week, people were saying like, Hey, you know, if, if Deshaun Watson, uh, Jacoby Brissett, can keep, you know, having success with the Browns. If the team rallies around Jacoby Brissett, then what happens when Deshaun Watson comes back? Browns are now two and three on the season. Uh, Jacoby Brissett has come back down to earth a little bit more. They just lost the Los Angeles Chargers. So I can say with, with confidence at this point that unless something crazy happens, the Browns will be ready to start Deshaun Watson when he is eligible to return. Brissett has been really good, maybe punching above his weight. It was kind of a backbreaking right. interception near the end zone or in the end zone against the Chargers late in that game. They'd driven about 75 yards before the pick, and it, it basically ended the game. Obviously not. We're not going to dive into that whole controversy. But, right. you know, it, uh, it showed the limitations of not being able to truly punch it in and fin finish the job. Um, also, I just have to say, you mentioned Josh Rosen, and we talked about Steve Wilkes. Uh, if Josh Rosen could be the answer and you could get three top ten picks from the 2018 draft class, all on the Carolina Panthers. Um, I'm sure Steve Wilkes misses his buddy Josh Rosen from Arizona. I am, of course, being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, he might wind up being the, the Carolina Panthers backup quarterback <laughs> this week. He could wind up starting for the Carolina Panthers by the time the season's up. Pretty much anything can happen there at this point. But that is a, a fun, uh, you know, side story there to the rest of the NFL season. Uh, unfortunate news, Seattle Seahawks running back Rashad Penny suffered a season ending injury, broken fibula, has to undergo surgery, will be out for the year. This one, I mean, it really just sucks because when you watch Rashad Penny, like if he stayed healthy, 
he could be one of the best running backs in the NFL. Like his speed size combination is still there, even despite all the injuries. Um, I think that if you ran his career 10 times, this is probably the worst possible outcome that you could have. And uh, now, yeah, lost for the season again, and he'll be a free agent after the year. Curious to see what happens there. But uh, at least the Seahawks do have Kenneth Walker to step up now and in, in, uh, uh, to spell Rashad Penny. Going back to week 10 of last year, which is when he kind of took over as the number one running back, he's one of our highest graded running backs. He was averaging over six yards per carry for about a 10 to 12 game stretch, like not a tiny sample size, obviously not a huge one. But yeah, he was a very, very efficient downhill runner. Um, it is certainly unfortunate. I do think um, and the data showed on snaps and, and touches that Walker was starting to slowly eat into his workload. But that could have been, a, you know, a solid one two punch at running back. Um, hopefully it's a clean break. It's not like some of the he's had in the ligaments you know before um it's just a clean bone break hopefully he can get back next year i think he could be an interesting you know an intriguing free agent option as probably your early down back not a you know he's not a great receiver and not going to be any team's workhorse but if you want a guy that can just you know make one cut get up field and get you six yards on first down he's been that for almost like i said almost a full season now all right, let's take a break real quick. PFF Wire is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Um, let's talk about some other teams that could have head coaching changes in the upcoming future. Uh, I, I think I said this to you before the show. I, I, before this week, before this weekend's slate of games, after Thursday night, before Sunday, some odds had come in that Nathaniel Hackett was all of a sudden the favorite to be the first head coach fired. I hope that anyone other than myself jumped on that and bet on that rule at that point, because I can't see a team firing Nathaniel Hackett that quickly, even after what transpired on Thursday night. But um, do you see any other team potentially making a head coaching change, you know, in season at this point? In season, I would say no, unless the wheels really fall off. I will mention a name though, that I think would be silly, but I think it is worth talking about. And that's Brandon Staley with the Los Angeles chargers to where you come into the season, I think it's even fair for ownership to say, like, we need, well, I don't know, 11, 12 wins. This roster is absolutely loaded. You have one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL making about $6 million in cash. You know, the tiny cap hit even less than that, I believe. Um, you know, like you could you could see how it could be a narrative of you need to do this. And then I think, I mean, look, Keenan Allen tweeting, what the F are we doing in the middle of the game? And he's hurt, obviously yeah. not playing in the game, but in the middle of the game, questioning his coach, you know, I, th I think it does say a lot because even when John Harbaugh, you know, lost on this decision again last week and going back to last season when I think he lost some, some of these, you know, close calls, you go to those interviews in the locker room and every single player to a man, maybe they felt differently, you know, behind closed doors, but to a man, they say, we like being aggressive. We love that our coach believes in us. He, you know, all this stuff. And, and I start to wonder if does Staley maybe not discuss this enough with his players are they not on the same page because of the, they just don't like it and they don't, you know, Keenan Allen's not an analytics guy, which is fine. Or is it right. more of a, they don't feel empowered. They don't feel like they're part of the decision-making process that they're leaned on because 
I think the coolest thing, whatever time John Harbaugh does it, literally every time it show, the camera shows him and you see him going, Lamar, Lamar, Lamar. What do you think, Lamar? What do you think? Like it's a yep. it's a joint decision and a joint effort. And I think that goes a long way. And I wonder if it's the same situation in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm not sure if it is uh, based on, you know, just rumblings around the NFL, just kind of rumors that are tossed around. Uh, not entirely convinced that absolutely everyone, you know, within that organization is all aboard uh, the, the Brandon Staley experience. I like Brandon Staley. I think he's a good coach. I like a lot of the risks that he takes. I wish he was maybe a little bit more consistent about them because early this season seemed like he was getting away from the numbers on, on them. And then, you know, what we're refer referencing right now is with a minute 14 left in the game, it was fourth and one on the Chargers 46 yard line. Uh, the Chargers went for it rather than punting at that point. Justin Herbert threw an incomplete pass to Mike Williams, giving the Browns the ball. Uh, they pretty quickly got 10 yards, wound up missing a 54-yard field goal that would have won them the game because the Chargers only led 30 to 28 at the time. So Keenan Allen clearly wanted the Chargers to punt at that point. Um, a lot of people have even said that I didn't hate the decision, but the play call itself was a little bit of a mess. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, analytically, I think the numbers actually favored doing what the Chargers did at that point. But I can understand that with Jacoby Brissett on the other side of the ball, asking him to drive down the field with a minute 14 seconds left on the clock probably wasn't in no timeouts at that point, I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't think zero, that was yeah, going to happen. Zero timeouts so. through Cleveland, yep, yep. Yeah, so yeah, I, I can certainly understand the second guessing there. And yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, Kenyon Allen has to be perhaps the most respected player on the team. If he's not the most, then he's certainly up there to tweet – WTF are we doing? And he kept the tweet up too. It's not like he deleted it afterwards. I think that that kind of tells you all you really need to know at that point. Um, I just going through other, uh, the odds right now for next NFL head coach fired. Cliff Kingsbury is actually the favorite at three and two. Then you've got Nathaniel Hackett, Ron Rivera, Dan Campbell, Frank Reich, Kevin Stefanski, Matt Eberflus, Pete Carroll, and Mike Tomlin. It's interesting that Kingsbury is now leapfrogged Nathaniel Hackett, but, you know, as we mentioned before, another one of those former college head coaches that hasn't gone particularly perfectly in the NFL. Let's just do a, a roundabout right now. Um, anything else that's on our mind right now? I think that the, the Bailey Zappi situation in New England right now is pretty fascinating because I certainly don't think that, you know, you're going to bench Mac Jones for Bailey Zappi or anything like that. But I will say that after only one week of Bailey Zappi, winning against Detroit Lions, looking very comp competent in that game. There is a faction of the Patriots fan base, which is saying like, hey, let's roll with Bailey Zappi. I think that Mac Jones will prove doubters wrong once he gets back in there. But just pretty, pretty fascinating to see Bailey Zappi start a game, win a game as a fourth round pick rookie. I think it's also in a larger conversation this week kind of displayed it a bunch, but, and the Patriots have been doing this better than anyone for a long time is that teams do not take advantage of this enough where if a guy falls to you in the later rounds at quarterback, here's the thing. Now let's say hypothetically, he does never start again, but you now have, you can let Brian Hoyer go and you can have a dirt cheap backup for three more years of rookie contract behind Mac Jones. That's your worst case scenario in this situation. A guy that you trust, like you said, looked competent, will obviously get better as time goes on. And look, we joke about him. His name's funny, all that. He broke a bunch of Joe Burrow's records in college last year at Western Kentucky. I mean, the guy is a winner and is productive um, and looked really good in that game. But I, I say it's a trend because 
That is why Jalen Hurts is a Philadelphia Eagle. They had Carson Wentz on the roster and used the 50th or 51st overall pick in the second round on Jalen Hurts. Now we're here. Jacoby Brissett starting in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo starting in the NFL. Even Miami, look, they got blown out, but they had to bring in Skylar Thompson, their third-string quarterback, a seventh-round pick this year. I actually thought it looked okay. Like, to come into a game where you didn't know you were going to play, you're behind Teddy Bridgewater, and, you know, I thought he looked at least serviceable. And I just think that not enough teams, I think there's all this ego and all this, we don't want our quarterback to get upset or we don't have to think his job's at risk and yada, 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 yada. Managing egos is frankly the most difficult part of the entire job. But also, in my opinion, kind of why you hire guys and a big part of the job. If you can't figure out how to how to get all these guys who look, every most of them are in college and some five-star hotshot recruit is coming in to take their job every single year. Look at Mac Jones at yeah. Alabama, for one example. But anyway, rant over. But I, I just think it's something that not enough teams are taking advantage of. And this weekend, was was it was on display just how valuable it can be. I, w- I will also say that, you know, obviously Mac Jones was the better prospect, better pedigree, you know, top 15 pick, went to Alabama, all those things. I don't know if they're like Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones' skill set are that much different, which certainly helps you when that's your backup quarterback. I think that when the Patriots drafted Bailey Zappi, they thought, okay, this guy will be Brian Hoyer for the next 15 years. But I don't know if that's you know a, a positive for Bailey Zappi or a negative for, for Mac Jones, that when you look at them, they're not really that much different. So I think that a guy like Bailey Zappi can step in uh, pretty admirably when Mac Jones goes down. I think that that's the hope for the future, that he will continue to be able to do that. Maybe eventually he'll wind up getting a starting opportunity. But uh, anything else around the NFL that, that you're kind of monitoring right now? Oh, you know, I think we continue to see just a lot of low scoring, um, particularly in divisional games. It's just been, I mean, no one can score the football. And, and I think it's going to be interesting if there is kind of a, a counter and, and a counter punch to this on offense. Uh, I think it's interesting with yeah. Miami where I think a lot of folks, when they think of Tyreek Hill, they think of Jalen Waddle, they think of the bombs down the sidelines, which is kind of what too high coverage is designed to prevent. But Tua Tagovailoa made his money at Alabama throwing mesh route concepts to Jalen Waddle and those guys just streaking across the middle of the field. And I think finding guys that, that are comfortable throwing over the middle and, and those intermediate passes over the middle of the field where you can attack too high coverage, like I, I think we're going to see this counterpunch from offenses. And whoever can figure that out first, I, you know, I think this this wide zone offensive scheme that comes from Shanahan and all those guys, like they do well in that, you know, play action plays into it, all this pre-snap motion, all this window dressing. Um, I just think it's gotten so bad at this point, and you put out some cool stats about it, that there has to be an answer. It can't just be keep doing what yeah. we're doing, keep trying what we're trying. It's simply not going to work. Yeah, when the middle of the field is open, uh, at least as of last week, quarterbacks had about a 60.6, something like that, PFF grade, uh, when the middle of the field was closed. So, you know, cover uh, cover one, cover three, um, it was like a 90.1, something like that. So it was a crazy dichotomy between, you know, basically quarterbacks going up against quarters or cover two or uh, cover one or cover three. So that was definitely interesting to see. Uh, tonight we've got Raiders, Chiefs. I'm looking at PFF Green Line right now, and I think that this one's kind of interesting. There's a 1.5% edge on the under total for this game. The total is 51 Point five points. And, and as we just mentioned, scoring is down around the NFL. I think that you look at these two teams and say, hey, they've got a lot of potential to score points. But if they do what we're talking about and throw some some cover two out there, throw some quarters out there and, and quarterbacks can't adjust to it, then I could easily see this game uh, hitting the under. Any, any best bets that you like in this game? 
just to that point, new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham is running the highest percent of cover two in the NFL right now. And the reason yeah. why the Chiefs put up 40 plus points in both games last season is because Gus Bradley leads the NFL in cover three every single season by about 20 percentage points. He yeah. runs that, you know, typical Seattle defense, single high safety, all that. So uh, I honestly, I'm not going to bet the under uh, betting a Kansas City Chiefs under is like torturing yourself. So, um, <laughs> yes. you know, and the Raiders can score as well. But I will say this. I think now that the, the number has moved off a touchdown to a seven and a half for the Chiefs, they're laying seven and a half points. You know, call that the hook. I now we right. loading this at PFF. Ben Brown always puts these out. I think you've missed the window to bet the Chiefs. What you can do and PFF Greenline loves this play, is Patrick Mahomes over two and a half passing touchdowns. It is plus money at about plus 135, depending on the book you're looking at. They could still lose and you could still hit that. Um, I, I, that, is my, that is my bet for the night. All right. I like that. Keep it on PFF.com for all of your news analysis. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Download the PFF app. Make sure to subscribe to PFF plus that is 79.99 a year and you get a free week trial follow brad on twitter at pff underscore brad throw me a follow at doug kide and we will be back with you guys again on wednesday